But anyway, you know that uh, we're in a series called What Does God Say About Blank, right? Um, I've been partnering with Pastor Chris on this series, and I'm having a blast. Uh, uh, he asked me how I felt two weeks ago when I preached, and it was the first time I preached in like probably like a year and a half. And I told him it felt like I was getting on a bicycle that I put aside a year and a half ago. So I'm ready to go. He said, keep that bicycle near because I'll need you in two weeks. I said, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm on the bicycle. I didn't get off of it. Um, but just to start off the message for today, I remember about, I'll say a year and a half ago. A lot of things happened a year and a half ago. But a year and a half ago, I got an invite from a near and dear friend of mine named Pastor Jason Tucker to go bow fishing. And I'm not really the outdoorsy type. I don't really like hunting or fishing too much, but come to find out, I have an extreme love for bow fishing that I wouldn't have found out if I didn't accept this pity invite from Pastor Jason Tucker. Um, he wanted to go bow fishing. I'm like, man, you know, that's not really my cup of tea. I don't really like going bow fishing. Uh, come to find out, you bow fish from like 10 p.m. to 4 o'clock in the morning. So if I had known that beforehand, I probably wouldn't agree to go. Um, but I ended up loving it. I loved, you know, shooting a bow and arrow, shooting the fish. It's so satisfying when you hit a fish and you see it like squirming out of the water. It's like the most satisfying feeling ever. But there's one time, right, where we were fishing, and they had about a 30-inch redfish swimming up to the front of the boat. Like, you couldn't, it wouldn't have been an easier shot for both of us to hit. So the, the captain actually put the spotlight on the fish. Me and Jason both ran up to the front of the boat enthusiastically, pulled the bow back as far as we can to let the, the arrow go. Which one of y'all, or who do y'all think hit the fish, me or Jason? Me? Can I surprise you and tell, tell you that none of us hit the fish? Both of us missed the fish completely, and it couldn't have been an easier shot again. We had, we had clear instructions. We had a light on the fish. The fish was big. We were maybe 30 inches away from a 30-inch fish, so there's no reason we should have missed this fish. Uh, but we missed the mark, and when we sin, we missed the mark as well. We have clear instructions on, as far as what God wants us to do, right? He gives us the... The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, it's, it's a list of his commandments, essentially. John 14, 15 says that if you love me, this is Jesus speaking, not me, if you love me, obey my commandments, right? So we, we're tasked by Jesus to obey his commandments to be made righteous in him. But oftentimes, right, because of our sinful nature, because we're fallen human beings, because we've disobeyed God, sin, we're born into sin, we have a sinful nature, and we do things like lie, cheat, steal, uh, envy, lust. I'm not sure if any of you guys do that, but I definitely do that. Um, but we, we do those things. We miss the mark. And that's essentially what the definition of sin is, is missing the mark. We, we run up to these fish, right? And we have no excuse for missing the fish. We have no excuse for not obeying the law of God, but we miss it. Even with clear instructions, even with um, the spirit of God leading us and guiding us and all those things, we still miss the mark. And what I want to talk about this morning is what does God say about works? What does God say about works? And what do I mean by works? Works are what you would, you would do to be considered a good Christian, right? Good Christians come to church. That's why you guys are here. Good Christians read the Bible. Good Christians go to life group. Good Christians do X, right? Because we know that we're supposed to do them as followers of Christ. Um, but in order to understand the proper perspective of works, you have to understand a few different things in Christianity and in the Bible, such as salvation, um, our sinful nature, et cetera, and we're going to dive into this today after I open this up in prayer. Father God, I would just thank you for this congregation. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to speak. Father God, and I would just pray that 
None of my opinion, theology, or doctrine would come out today, Father God, but I would speak directly from your throne room into this congregation. Father God, I pray that this word would go forth and produce a fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold, and that you would just get all praise and glory and honor as a result. And the body of Christ said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. So, how many of y'all know about the battlefield, right? We have the battlefield on St. Bernard Highway. Um, I live relatively close to the battlefield. And I remember when I was a young fellow, uh, very not intelligent young fellow, um, at the back of the battlefield, right, we know that it's bordered by the Mississippi River. Um, and right on the bank of the Mississippi River, behind the battlefield, there are like these three-story high bricks or blocks that you can climb up on top of. Uh, I would definitely suggest you not go back there. But um, a buddy of mine and I would go to these bricks and climb up to the top. Well, one particular instance, they had a barge come through with like 30 or 40 workers on the barge, and they were doing this, this motion. Come to find out, they were telling me to get down. I thought they were telling me to jump into the river. So what did I do as a very young, unintelligent fellow, right? I jumped into the Mississippi River. I could have died. I could have, like, got drugged under the water, you know, caught up in the undertow and actually, like, been washed onto the Gulf of Mexico. Y'all would have never knew who I was. Like, that's how bad, like, once I come, like, I came to the understanding of what could have happened, I was like, man, I should be dead. Like, I should not be here. Uh, but needless to say, St. Bernard's finest came. I was escorted to the juvenile detention center. Uh, my mom had to come pick me up, and she was not excited at all. She was not happy. Um, but needless to say, I deserved it, right? I deserved everything that could have been done or should have been done to me, right? I, I deserved death. I probably deserved jail time for breaking the law. I deserved the wrath and punishment of my mother, right? What would you do if you found out your kids were jumping in the Mississippi River? You wouldn't be happy, right? I hope not. And here I am just thinking it's like jumping into a pool. It's like, oh, I'm gonna just jump into the river and swim out and we're gonna have a good time. But nope, that's not it. So yes, I, I deserved everything that came to me, right? And when we sin and when we fall short, we deserve everything that comes to us. So my first point is that we deserve death. Short and, and sweet and simple. We deserve death. You deserve death. I deserve death. When we sin and we fall short, we deserve death. Uh, I want to go to this verse of scripture, and I'm sure plenty of you have heard it. Uh, you probably even know it. And it's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, meaning that when you commit sin, the, the just payment for your sin is death. Now, you deserve hell. You deserve the grave. You deserve everything that God justly wants to give you. And there's this notion in Christianity today, right, progressive Christianity, that hell isn't, it doesn't exist, which is mind-boggling to me. Because Jesus spoke more about hell in the Gospels than heaven. Plenty of times Jesus, you know, walks into these crowds and he's teaching and he talks about hell being uh, an eternal fire. He talks about it being an everlasting punishment. He talks about it being a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell isn't fun. Hell is not a fun place. Gnashing of teeth literally means that you're in so much pain, you're in so much despair that you clench your teeth to the point to where they break. I'm not sure if you guys have ever been in that amount of pain or distress, but like that's, that's not fun. And all the time, you know, on social media, we hear the, like, the idioms and the jokes, like, oh, hell's going to be a party when we get there. Hell's going to be so fun. You know, I'll meet you in hell. Like, that's not something to joke about. Hell is a, is a place where Jesus described that the flame is never quenched and the worm never dies. Like, this is a, a pretty bad place. You don't want to go there. I'm going to be in heaven. Y'all going to be in heaven? 
Because I'm going to be in heaven, amen? There's going to be a party in heaven. Ain't no party in hell. But I'm not going there. But I want to warn you because I don't want you to go there either. I want to see you and I want to turn up with you in heaven. Um, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm grateful that Jesus decided not to give us what we justly deserved and decided to give his life as a penalty and a ransom for sin. Amen. Amen. I'm, rem I'm reminded of Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 1. It says that there's no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus, right? That the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. For God did what the law of Moses was unable to do by sending his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have, right? So that the just requirement of the law can be fulfilled. And the just requirement of the law was death for you, death for sinners, death for people who committed sin and, and missed the mark and had fallen short of the glory of God. But I'm so thankful, so, so thankful that God decided in his, his justice and his mercy and his grace not to give us what we righteously deserved. There was a time when I came up in youth, right? I was a leader in youth, and I felt like one of the most effective ways to minister and to connect with young men is through sports, right? One particular time, we decided that we were going to go play basketball, and it was one of those sessions where, like, you just play nonstop. We played for, like, six hours. We started at 9, ended at, like, 2. Uh, I got home. I was so parched. I was so dehydrated. Like, my mouth was dry. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to go to my fridge and get me a nice bottle of Dizani. We ain't have no Dizani. I reached into the fridge, pried it open, and I grabbed the first clear liquid that I can find. And uh, you know when you're, like, your mouth is that dry, you don't taste what you're drinking for like the first two or three sips? That's what I did. I opened the fridge, grabbed the first clear liquid that I can find, um, you know, broke it open, was so like, Excited to finally get my dehydration satisfied, come to find out I was taking sips and gulps of vinegar. I was taking sips and gulps of vinegar. Needless to say, I threw up. So I was tired. I had throw up everywhere. My wife was asleep. Um, not, it, was, it wasn't a fun time. But needless to say, vinegar and dehydration don't mix, right? It doesn't take a scientist to tell me that dehydration and vinegar don't mix. Don't drink vinegar after you just had a workout. It will not end well. But in the same way, salvation based on works does not, not mix. And that's the second point, is salvation is not based on works. There's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to be made right with God. There's nothing that you can do. There's no amount of money you can give. There's no amount of time you can devote. There's no messages you can preach, no Bible studies that you can attend that can make you righteous in and of itself. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 says, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Amen. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, and just to give you some context on who the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees were, um, they were considered like the representatives of God. They were considered the, like they walked around and touted themselves in these big robes. Uh, if you've ever seen The Chosen or any other like historically accurate um, series or TV show, you, you would notice the Pharisees because Jesus always ran up to them and he always condemned them. Um, that's what I love about Jesus. Jesus wasn't afraid to roast and most of the time he roasted the Pharisees. Um, 
they were known for like knowing a lot, right? They were known for like leading and guiding the people, but they were, they missed the mark. Their hearts were far off from God, even though they had the head knowledge of who God was and what he wanted them to do. But here Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness exceeds the, the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I want to go to the kingdom of heaven, amen? So I want to know how my righteousness can exceed theirs. And what basis, what was their basis for their righteousness, right? Matthew chapter 23, Jesus condemns the Pharisees uh, because they thought what they knew made them righteous, right? And how often we, like, run into people that think that because they know the Bible that they're good. Or because I can quote whatever amount of scriptures that I can quote that I'm good. There's, no, there's nothing that you can know about God that would make you right. Jesus also condemned them in Matthew chapter 23 for looking the part, right? They looked like they had it all together. Like I said, they touted themselves in these robes. They would have, like, tassels and stuff on these robes. So they looked holy. None of us wear robes. I don't wear a robe. Um, so they looked like priests. Like, they looked like they had it all together. And just by, like, noticing them, you would say, okay, like, they know God. They know what they're doing, but they don't. Looking the part doesn't make you righteous. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus also condemns them for um, tithing, but neglecting other matters of the law like justice, mercy, and faith. Again, there's no amount of money that you can give to the church that will make you okay. And lastly, Jesus condemns them because he says that uh, in your effort to, to weed out the gnat, you swallowed a camel. In your effort to weed out a gnat, you swallowed a camel, meaning that you tried so hard to do A, B, and C. You tried so hard to base your, your walk and your life around these actions, but you, you, missed, like you missed what it was all about. You missed the reason why I gave you to do those actions. And we do the same thing. Like we get in such this, we get in like these motions of checklist Christianity, Whereas, like, we have, check, we have things that we need to do, but your salvation isn't based on those checklists. That, that checklist doesn't make you right. Like I said, coming to church doesn't make you right. Going to life group doesn't make you right. You, we want you to do those things because we know that they're pivotal to your walk. But when it comes more about doing those things out of obligation than out of love, then we've missed the mark. We're acting like the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs and dirty dishes, Right? And uh, on Esplanade, um, I used to go uh, around that area for work. But at the end of Esplanade, close by City Park, they have this, like, graveyard. And in this graveyard, if you look to the right, like, these tombs are, like, they catch your eye because they're so beautiful. They're so magnificent. They're so, like, elegant on the outside. But on the inside, you don't want to be on the inside, right, because it's full of, of dead bodies, dirty bones, uh, worms. Like, you would be terrified to be in one of these tombs. But on the outside, they look nice. And Jesus condemned the Pharisees again for looking like whitewashed tombs. They looked like they had it all together. They looked elegant. They looked apart. But when it came down to the come down, they weren't right with God. And I think that this it's a hard concept for us to grasp that salvation isn't based on works because of where we live, right? We live in America, uh, and we tell you that if you work hard enough and you, you know, press through and just do everything you know to do, show up to work early, leave late, and just work your tail off that you'll, you'll have promotions and you'll have things come to you. And those are all good things. And I think that, you know, we should be hard workers and have good work ethic, but we don't understand in totality what it means to have a free gift, especially in, to the degree that Jesus gave us a free gift, right? So we feel like we have to do stuff to earn it. Like, even though Jesus is saying, like, Everything that I've done for you, the righteousness that I attributed to you is free. All you have to do is have faith and believe that I did that, and you'll be made righteous. But somehow we get into this groove, or we get into these stints where we feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this because I feel like I need to. 
I'm gonna do this because I feel like um, pastor will be proud, my leader will be proud, when ultimately, like, we don't do those things because they make us righteous. We do those things because we know God and we know what he rescued us from. One of my proudest days and one of my best days from like an event planning slash putting things together standpoint was the day we got engaged, the day my lovely wife and I got engaged. She was actually supposed to go to an orientation that day at uh, the college that she was attending and I was like, I was looking at the calendar, I'm like, when can I propose to my near and dear wife, right? I want this day to be perfect, I wanna have a whole day planned, and I want her to be loved and feel loved. And so what I did, not to toot my own horn, I'm not that guy to toot my own horn, but I called the president of the school. <laughs> I said, hey man, this is what I wanna do. I wanna propose to my wife, she's actually supposed to be in orientation today. Is there any way we can like, you know, not go to orientation, but she can get orientation like some other day. And he was like, he was completely on my team, dude. It was like the grace of God. Like I, I pray blessings over his descendants for generations and generations. That's how much I love this guy. He was like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make her think that she has orientation today. You're going to take whoever you want to take her. We're going to have our whole staff on the, on, uh, the same page so that she thinks she's going to be here, but she's not going to be here. I was like, dude, you're awesome. Blessings. Um, so needless to say, we went out to eat with Pastor Chris and Pastor Caitlin, uh, and I proposed to my wife on the Riverwalk. And um, she, my wife was freaking out, obviously, but after like 20, 30 minutes of us like freaking out and having our moment, she was like, I got to go to orientation. I was like, listen, baby, we're not going to orientation today. I got the whole day planned. You coming with me. You my fiance now. I'm going to take care of you. Um, but as we know, no good deed goes unpunished, and unless like I match that level, like I set a baseline so high, that now I can't even like scratch the surface of any event I plan for. But now nah, I'm playing. Uh, love my wife. Love you, babe. Um, but after that, we went like we we um, went on these boat rides at City Park. We were like in this gondola. Um, we wrote our name underneath the the bridge, R&B forever. Uh, we went out to eat. We had a party that was thrown by Hannah Wilson. Blessings and favor upon your descendants as well, wherever you are. Um, she threw us a party, a party, she like coordinated the whole thing, had everybody there, it was such an amazing time. Uh, but the point being, all my wife had to do from that point on after I engaged her and she agreed to be my wife was just show up to these events, right? There was nothing she had to do from that point on to work toward being my fiance. I asked her to be my fiance, she said yes, comically. And then from that point on, she was my fiance, later than my wife, right? And everything that I did after that point of us being engaged was evidence of us being engaged. There was nothing I had to do from that point on to make her my fiance. Point being, and uh, this is point number three, is that works are evidence of your, your, your salvation. Sorry. <clears throat> works are evidence of your salvation. Us attending that party, us going on that gondola ride, us riding our names under the bridge, us uh, going out to eat was all evidence of us being engaged. And even further, like her wearing her ring is a symbol of us being engaged. She no longer has to try to be my wife. She just is my wife. And now we do things together and for one another because we're in a covenant relationship. In the same way that works are an evidence of our salvation. We do things, right, because of who God is and the covenant, the covenant relationship we have with him. James chapter 2, verse 18 through 20, and you guys know this one. It says, some people have faith. Others say, I have good deeds. 
But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. I love that, that part of the scripture. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror, right? How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So the proper perspective of works and our salvation in relation to our salvation is that we're saved, right? We have faith in Christ. We make him Lord of our life. Then we do things for him because we know who he is and what he saved us from. We love him so much from that point on. We're so passionate and so fervent for what he's done for us that we do the good works he set for us to do long ago. Uh, and if you remember this verse of scripture, I quoted it two weeks ago, Ephesians 2.10. It says that we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good things he planned for us long ago. And, and notice the, the structure of that scripture, right? We're made new, then we accomplish the good things he had done for us long, or planned for us long ago. It's not that we do the good things, then he makes us new. And it's so easy to understand this, but when we walk it out, it's so different, right? We, we can get into those motions of, oh, I'm going to church because if I don't go to church, pastor's going to text me where you at. If I don't go to church, if I don't go to life group, my, my leader's going to text me, oh, what you doing? But that shouldn't be the reason we go, right? We should go because we love God. We should go because we want to congregate with, with fellow believers and, and be with each other and be in fellowship, be in lockstep and accomplish and live this life together. But along the race, we get out of line sometimes, right? And we, we do things for the wrong reasons. We do the right things for the wrong reasons. And I'm here to tell you today that we need to, you know, get back in line. We need to understand works and salvation and what the Bible says about them. Because if we don't have a good context or a good understanding of what they mean, then we can mess up. We can go awry. God has plans for you after you're saved. And salvation is the beginning, right? Salvation isn't the end-all, be-all, right? Ultimately, we want to be with God. We want to be with Jesus, and we're going to be with him for eternity. But salvation is the starting point. Church is the starting point. Like, the end goal isn't to see your family sitting in these chairs, although I would love to see your family sitting in these chairs and come to know God and, and your family make Jesus Lord of their lives. But ultimately, they need to be fulfilled in their calling if they want to do what God set before them to do, Right? Uh, I think it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, says that he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be teachers, some to be evangelists, right? For the edification of the church and the equipping of the saints. And that's ultimately what church is. Church, you come to church so that you can be edified and that you can be equipped so that you can go and do the work that he planned for you outside these walls. The work isn't done here. If the work was done here, we'd live a pretty boring life, right? Like, our life would be boring. I'd, I would, like, feel like I'd have to convince somebody to come to church if the work was done here. The work isn't done here. The work is done on Monday when you're in work and somebody comes to you and they really need you because they're going through a traumatic part of their life. That's when the work's done. The work is done when your friend calls you and their parents just passed away or something happened really tragically and you're filled with the scripture, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's giving you the words to say. That's when the work is completed. But somehow we, we've misunderstood what church is for, and we think that, oh, if I can just invite somebody, if I can just get them here, if I can just drag them along, convince them to come to church and just say a few prayers and sing a few songs, then they're good. Then they're, they're over. They're, they're a check on my checklist when that's not what it's about. And I think that if the church can lean more into trying to get people fulfilled in their calling after they know Christ, then we'd have no problem filling up these chairs. Because we'd be coming here for a refresher. We'd be coming here for fuel. We'd be coming here like a racer, a longer race, stopping, getting a drink of water. Thank you, Lord. And continuing that race. 
That's what church is. Church is this drink of water. Church is a refresher. It's a revitalizer. It's a, a place where we can come so that we can be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And just a few things that we're supposed to do after we had gotten saved, right, is obviously I said earlier is to obey his commandments. A lot of good things in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. I would highly recommend you read it over. Um, if you have read it a bunch of times, it's really good. Uh, Matthew chapter 28 says that we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations. We know that one. Uh, James chapter 4 verse 8 says that we're supposed to draw near to God so that he can draw near to us and that we're supposed to be holy as he is holy. <clears throat> and I'd hate to get in front of him, right, and think that what I've done and what I've accomplished in Christ is the reason why I am where I am. Matthew chapter 7 verse 22 says that many will come to me in the last day and say, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And you know what he's going to tell them? You know it. Depart from me, for I never knew you. And think about how far those people had to fall, right, to get to that statement. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't know many people casting out demons. I don't know many people prophesying in his name, right? So think about how close you have to be to Christ to do those things, right? You have to be, you have to know him. You have to be in lockstep with his spirit. You have to surrender your life to his calling, to his guidance, to do those things. But many people will come to him on the last day, and he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Like, how far have they fallen from their works? Right, because we understand that salvation is not based on our works, but salvation is based on, is based on faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And in closing, I want to... Um, Read the same verse of scripture that I read to you guys two weeks ago. Um, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, this is John on the island of Patmos writing to the church in Galatia. And he says this, if you can recall. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them liars. And you have preserved, persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this one thing against you, that you have left your first love. And again, this is the solution, same solution to your, the problem that I gave in last, or two weeks ago's message. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So essentially, if he was writing a letter to the Church of America, he would say something along the lines of, I know you come to church faithfully. I know you serve your pastor faithfully. I know you go to life group faithfully. You read your Bible. You pray. You do all those things, but you've forgotten one important reason, the reason why I want you to do those things, and that's because of love, through love and in love. Right, Jesus said the, the two most important commandments is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we aren't doing those things, then we've missed the whole point. You can read the entire Bible front to back. Still missed the point. The devil knows the Bible front to back. He can quote scripture better than any person here. But guess what? He's going to spend eternity in eternal punishment, eternal damnation, a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I would hate for you guys to be there. And better yet, if God or if, or if the enemy can't get you to forfeit your salvation and turn your back on Christ, and he'll have you thinking that, you know, what you do makes you right. He'll have you thinking that, you know, 
he'll have you thinking all kinds of things. There's all kinds of ideologies and things that you can get yourself into if you aren't careful. But understand that we need to love God and submit yourself to his word, and then you'll have the knowledge and the capacity and the foundation to stand on to do the things he wants you to do and do them righteously. Amen. Amen.